It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, we have, well, we don't have a new movie yet to talk about, but we have a trailer because The Irishman, in addition to being announced as the opening night slot at New York Film Festival, dropped this snazzy two minutes and change look at a less than wrinkly uh, Robert De Niro as uh, <laughs> less uh, than wrinkly in the sixties, and <laughs> among other things, but I think that, that I mean, look, we have to get into it, right? Everybody's wondering about the de aging in this movie. Well, less than wrinkly means that you're going from seventy five year old Robert De Niro with white hair, and he's you know a good looking seventy five, well preserved seventy five, and then you've got um, a guy who's in his maybe late 40s, early 50s, judging from what it looks like. Right. He's not a kid. He's not, he's know. got subs, he's got, he's got heft. He's not young De Niro. Right. He's not young Godfather. That was the thing. That was an interesting question, you know, that somebody raised on Twitter. The idea that you could have jobs taken away from young actors like Robert De Niro, who played the young uh, Marlon Brando in Godfather 2. You know? Right, because you could just get somebody to, you know, there's this open question of with a movie like The Irishman, where the actors age across a certain period of time, why not just get actors from different age groups to play them? But the thing with this particular case is that in, on some level, it's sort of, it's it, whoever plays the, the character in the 60s sounds like that's when most of the movie takes place. So it's like, it's either going to be a Robert De Niro movie or it's not. He would not do it as sort of a minor role. So, so what's interesting about this is that is that we don't know a lot yet, but um, from what we do know uh, already out there, um, there's visual effects from ILM that is you know taking care of this de aging stuff, and that to, and and that Scorsese was really worried about the eyes and about the expressions and all sorts of things that that didn't somehow come through and that he had to really fuss about but they obviously made a decision uh and it wasn't that long ago uh apparently uh to put this movie into the new york film festival and and that was a last minute uh call and which is the latest of the film festivals except for afi that you could be in but, but it's it, not it's, closing night. It's open. But it's also night. A, it's a very, very, very welcoming crowd. A prominent slot in New York for the New Yorkiest of New York people with the do, doing something that is is you know sort of what he is best known for: getting his Goodfellas guys together for a tough guy mob movie that does look like quite the epic. And also, I have to say, I mean, finished or not finished, if this movie works on a narrative front. There may be a case to be made, and we don't know yet, that the even if these effects are not totally there, let's say that there are moments when you can kind of tell that they erase the wrinkles, it may not matter as much 
if the performances are really good and if the movie works just as this fascinating study of, you know, the organization of the mob in the 60s and the mystery of the Jimmy Hoffa murder and if Pacino is really great, you know, as Jimmy Hoffa. And and Harvey Keitel is in there as well. And, and Joe Pesci. And, and uh, no, no, look at the trailer. The trailer is good. It is a solid trailer. It's a trailer that makes me want to see the movie. And it was interesting. There was a story in Forbes by Scott Mendelson, um, a smart story, which basically says that no studio could really afford um, to, 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 to back this movie. And it was going to go out via uh, Paramount at one point, SDX at one point. Um, finally, Netflix was the one that was willing to pony up to $160 million budget. So uh, that's that's a, a, a theatrical possibility that would never have flown with any studio. And so Netflix doesn't have to, to do all that. The question is, what money do they save theatrically? We still don't know what they're going to do, whether they're going to go short or long or Roma level or, I mean, are they really going to spend $50 million again? I don't well, know. The question is also in this case, they can't do the exactly what they did for Roma because in last year's Oscar season, that was a real point of contention and almost nobody. They can the, do it. Why not? But, but because it, um, what, what the argument I would make is that, you know, from an optic standpoint, that was not en- enough. Roma was not seen as having a, a major theatrical campaign behind it. The, ar- it the argument, yeah. The argument from the studios who do this for a living was that it was a half-assed, campaign but they nonetheless spent an enormous sum of money for a foreign language art film and everyone at the studios was completely freaked out by that not not that they shouldn't have they are free to spend the money if they want to and they're free to go in art house theaters if they want to the question is can they get the arc light can they get some better theaters can they work with the my my intel is that it's going to be more or less what they did with Roma. I mean, I would love to see Netflix burn money on a ton of foreign language films that could use larger audiences. But I will say that if they do something like what they did with Roma on The Irishman, well, Roma was, a small, was I think, by most people's estimations, a quote-unquote smaller film because of foreign language, black and white, very personal, all this stuff. This movie is a major star-driven film from a major filmmaker who makes big movies and so i think on some level it it could be hurt in the sense that if the release isn't on the level of how we're used to seeing films like that get out there that will be a point of contention you know what's sort of interesting about this in a way is if you go back to the old road shows the the big big budget uh a movies that the hollywood studios used to make they did a very small slow release in big cities and then slowly the movie would move around and it would go to New York and Chicago and LA and San Francisco and then it would end up in smaller places and it would play out over a really long period of time and in a in a funny way you know why not just do you know these platform releases get all the attention get people in to see it as much as possible and then put it up on the on the on the site and let them see it that way and and you know the the issue for me is how much they have to spend 
to four-wall and to make all these deals, you know? That's the yeah, part that's really crazy. And, and it ultimately, it just ends up being a bigger talking point than anything else. And so that's frustrating when you're dealing with major filmmakers who have a lot of other things they want to get into and there's more to get into. I mean, it, in some ways, even the de-aging and the cost of that, okay, so, so Scorsese decided this is the way that this movie had to be made and lots of, of people are going to be looking at the de-aging as opposed to looking at the movie as a whole and how it works. I think it's going to be a similar thing with the theatrical side of it. It's like, if the, it just distracts so much from the ability to talk about this movie alongside other movies because it stands out as an anomaly and it's not really an anomaly as a work of art. It's just this weird quirk of our theatrical landscape and how it's changing that this disruptor doesn't want to play that game. So, you we'll know, the question see. is, why not offer an olive branch? You know, it's the same thing with the can thing. Offer an olive branch. Figure out a way to work with other people. You uh, can't do anything with can because of the French exhibit. Well, so I know that. It's the same but I'm, but I'm thing. Saying, it's not it's, Thierry Frimo who, who doesn't right. want to play. You know it better than anybody. Yeah, no, but And what you I'm met saying, with, what's his name, the head of Vienna France. You know. I Well, I know. I, I, I realistically, I understand why, why these arguments keep happening. I just feel like it, it to some extent everybody's digging their heels in more instead of trying to find common ground and so the Well that's true the, and the having people. reported this at CinemaCon I can tell you that the theater owners aren't changing their tune but they should pay attention because what's really going on I'm realizing as I think it's slowly dawning on everybody if if I'm slow I'm slow but it's dawning on everybody that, that 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 Netflix isn't the issue. It's about the big studios following Netflix into the fray and turning their streaming OTT sites into the most important thing they're doing and funneling their resources and money into those. And that is the issue for theaters that they don't really may not have faced up to the reality that the studio that the, that the studios don't have to give them any movies if they don't want to they can yeah. pick and choose what they want to show and yeah, i think I, that's going to be a disaster the fall will be fascinating in the sense that on the one hand you'll have all these new streaming outfits from disney and warners and hbo max and all that stuff and then at the same time you're going to have something like the irishman on netflix and all of a sudden Netflix is going to be in this sort of I told you so kind of situation where it's like you can't just, you know, scapegoat them anymore because there's going to be a lot of other complex things happening. Well, they have more competitors people. and they have more uh, reasons to be worried, uh, you know, about about how much they're spending and, and what they're getting back for, for their buck. I mean, that's, you know, that's the that's the thing we really can never know is how much is that $160 million Irishman worth it to Netflix in terms of getting more subscribers. We don't know what that algorithm is. Yeah, we don't know. And we also don't know what the algorithm is that says something like The Irishman, which as far as we know, is going to be very, very long and, you know, certainly not, you know, breaking new ground in terms of narratively. I mean, it's, it's, it's a kind of movie we, we're familiar with. What is it about that that's going to be so huge for netflix i mean are people going to watch it start to finish is it going to be good enough or the right kind of a crime plus star plus 
Scorsese or whatever formula to get people to keep watching it. I mean, there's, there are a lot of open questions about what the reach of this thing will be once it comes out. I mean, one assumes it'll be bigger on Netflix than, say, Roma was. But then right. how does that affect sort of like long-term future business decisions, all that kind of stuff? I think that's really an open it's question. It's fascinating. I, I can't wait to see how how it plays out. So, um, so, so that's not the only trailer. We, we got have 1917, Sam Mendes. Wow, you sound excited. I am. I look. What? I mean, I I get excited when I see a trailer that is really trippy. You know. Well, trippy is a weird term for a World War One movie. I mean that they put you inside the environment, and, yeah. and by all reputes, it's it's a one. It could be. We don't know yet. It could be a one shot movie that goes all the way from beginning to end. There's an assignment. These two guys, they have to go find uh, this this uh, person and give them a message and save 1,600 lives. That's it. That's right there. And that sends them on their way. I bet that camera is following them every step of the way. Well, the, the thing that's kind of great about this is it's like the art of the long take. I mean, those of us who love movies have been celebrating this stuff for years, you know, the opening of touch of evil or whatever, but I almost feel like it's just getting started in terms of how much people appreciate this approach to storytelling in the sense that we can, you can get away with more now technologically to pull off stuff like this. And so, you know, Hitchcock and rope had to use a weird trick where he changed the reel of film when the camera moved across a wall or whatever. Yeah, yeah he would go to black or something. They right. they still play. They go to doorways and, yeah. you know, they look up at the sky or whatever. They have all sorts of tricks for this. But um, I can't wait. It looks it looks phenomenal. Um, it's been a while since we had a great Sam Mendes movie. So you It's know, been Skyfall right probably. Yeah, which, you know, in some ways it's sort of like if that's if that's your last great movie, it says something about you know, been kind of doing theater, and I loved the Ferryman, and I loved the Lehman trilogy. So you know, he's been busy. It's not like he's been uh, dying on the vine or anything. Although it's interesting, I remember when when Dunkirk came out, people were saying like, "Well, Nolan has to do a movie like Dunkirk to kind of get people on his side again." You know, to, to kind of to be that quote unquote serious filmmaker as opposed to a genre guy or whatever it was. So. You know, I was just thinking about that when I was watching this trailer. Like, this is just telegraphing intense war movie, important. You know, let's get excited. Well, and, what it's know. really telegraphing is that they know that Dunkirk was an enormous hit, and they're making the trailer look a lot like a Dunkirk trailer. Like, it. like it's the, the same editor. It's 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 that guy Lee who did the who did the other one. And so, Roger Deakins. And Roger so Deakins is can't back. Can't go wrong. I mean, at least visually, you're sort of guaranteed. A, there's like a baseline guarantee in that respect. So, hey, I mean, it, it's nice to have some of these these more like with the Irishman or 1917. You know, are interesting kind of contrast to some of the more sort of outside the box fall movies that we've been talking about in award season contenders. I mean, you know, I, I told you already that I really like Marriage Story, and it's cool that Farewell is doing, you know, uh, as successfully as it has. But as award season kind of develops if we didn't have anything that was kind of made on a bigger scale, it would really send this message that like those, you know, they just don't make them like they used to anymore. And it's nice to have that balance. At least there is some potential for the, um, the, the bigger movies to have some, some rule at the table and, and, and at least be reaching for the kind of quality that makes them worth our time. It's not just a bunch of 
blockbuster type stuff, you know, as we get subjected to throughout the summer and all that kind of stuff. Well, speaking of which, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has opened. It opened really well. Um, it wasn't the biggest, right? Biggest it, opening. Technically, uh, if you if you put in um, adjusted grosses, uh, Inglorious Bastards was bigger, but it's it's really it did fine. It did fine. I mean, our our box office guy thinks it should have done better, but I think it did. It was great. pretty big. Yeah. I mean, everybody I know. We have to see how it holds with that uh, cinema score, which, which yeah. was not as good as, as you would want. But it wasn't terrible. And I felt like everyone I know, you know, I have this, this barometer where it's like the people I know who are serious movie people, but don't necessarily see everything that comes out. And then the people I know who are not incredibly engaged audiences, you know, if they start t- telling me about stuff, then I know that it's reached another tier. It's like very anecdotal, but you can get this sense of when people start asking, did you see this? Oh, I'm going to go see it this weekend. No, That's people really went. People, people definitely went, went uh, and they went quickly. Now I'm curious to see what the, what the fall off is on the second weekend, because it is more of a cinephile movie. It isn't that mainstream, but I keep, you know, every time, he out. I mean, forget about the hateful eight for a second, which was an anomaly. But you know, his films often really exceed expectations, well, especially around the world. It may not be that big here in the end if it gets to a hundred million. If it costs as much as it did, which is about a hundred million, um, you know, that doesn't get you where you need to go. You need overseas to do really well for him to get where he needs to go and to profit. Well, the thing about the movie is that in, in terms of expectations, it's kind of fascinating because in the Cannes context, I thought it was it was a little tough in the sense that, I mean, it didn't win any awards. And it, it was a movie that came in with a lot of hype. And then tonally, it was sort of strange and unexpected in ways people didn't quite know how to, to process there. But in, in its release, I think that's what people have been responsive to. They go because it's a Tarantino movie and they don't know what they're going to get out of it beyond that and have been surprised by how weird it is and kind of, you know, it's it's sort of a character study, but it's also this look at a particular moment in time and it's a showcase for two great stars. All the responses that I've seen have been kind of built around just how unexpected it is. And that that's really fascinating to, to follow because it suggests this movie has long legs in terms of the conversations that it's starting. Well, as far as the Oscars are concerned, you know, you and I figured this out back at, at Cannes. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, go- is going to be adored. It did very well at the Academy. It had a turnaway crowds. Uh, they, they literally filled up the entire Academy and turned people away. They had to get, you had to get there an hour ahead to get in. Um, so, so even though, um, so people do love show business stories and actors are going to love DiCaprio and Pitt, the relationship between them, the sort of Burt Reynolds, Hal Needham relationship, the, the way that people are going to recognize the truth of that kind of supportive relationship, you know, telling them that was a good, uh, stunt off the back of the truck on FBI, you know, that, 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 that thing that they have together is so palpably good. And, and they're both really good in this. And, uh, so there's been this sort of fake debate about, about what, um, who's going to get best actor, who's going to get supporting. And I just think it's pretty obvious. It'll be, I haven't had it confirmed, but it's pretty obvious. It'll be DiCaprio lead and head supporting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of easy to, 
Yeah. And, no one else has a big enough cool. part anyway. Yeah, there's nobody else in the movie who could have any kind of traction in that respect, except, of course, Tarantino himself as writer and director. Oh, that's going to happen. Yeah, that'll happen. And, and, and production yeah. design and editing and and uh, Richardson cinematography and all that stuff. It'll be great. Yeah, although, I mean, we as we've been talking about this dense fall season, this is a summer release. So it really has to kind of continue to be sort of talked about and processed in a way that isn't sort of dwarfed by the many other things that come along. I mean, what if Pacino, what if it's Pacino versus Brad Pitt for supporting actor? I mean, it'll be Pacino and Irishman versus Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, that that is that is a showdown right there because, you know, they're different generations, but they're two of the best known movie actors alive. You know, and that that in some ways that that's uh, as exciting as trying to figure out what a best picture race looks like because it has to do with so many different factors from you know how who who has more charisma, who can shake more hands, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be kind yeah, of yeah. The difference the difference with the Irishman, not to you know, I know we've exhausted this topic at this point, but the difference is that it is a mainstream, more mainstream movie than Roma was. So some of that. You know, in theory, if they can get into enough theaters and do a better job, some of that money they're spending might actually be returned to them. <laughs> but they're yeah. not in the business. They want Oscars is what they yeah. want. They don't want to make money at the box office. And they have lots of other money from from subscribers. You know, I mean, they, they wouldn't be burning money on something like this if the money wasn't there in some other kind of way. We know where it's coming from because we're Netflix subscribers like, you know, millions of other people around the world. So in any case, we we should talk about some movies that are opening this week, like Loose, which we saw way back at Sundance and got picked up by Neon and is finally coming out in theaters. I think it's certainly worth seeing. It's based on a play. It's not... Um, you know anything earth shattering but it's got some terrific Loose? performances yeah i like loose i Naomi think Watt, i think uh, the really Pinter. great perf- i mean they're all solid but the really great performance no surprise is octavia spencer who well, uh, I also think just Naomi breaks your good. heart in this movie i mean she's well, so good and the movie plays with your sympathies in some fascinating ways it de- deals with sort of white privilege and white guilt this white family that adopted a child from africa who becomes a high achiever as a teenager and then this question of did he or did he not sort of harbor some kind of we don't know like extremist tendencies and did, did the teacher played by octavia spencer sort of you know uh, uh, is she is she judging him in the wrong sort of way, or did he put her up to something? And it, it's this kind of unexpected thriller component to a kind of domestic concern. Well, and, what and they I do is they throw that. you into this character who's really um, challenging, in, who who's being raised. Um, he's from Africa and he's been rescued and he's being raised by these white middle-class parents and he's an achiever and he's supposed to achieve. He's supposed to make good with all the goodness that has been surrounding him. And there's stuff going on underneath and you don't know what it is. And it's fascinating because it's playing with your own preconceptions in an, in an interesting way. I think it's, it's a very well-directed movie. I mean, it, there are certain, there are certain parts of it that, that didn't, 100% work for me in terms of uh, kind of the certain exchanges with people that I felt were almost shrill because it's a completely humorless movie. But I will say that 
in terms of how it's directed to keep you guessing in terms of motivation and stuff, it really builds on the original material. It was a play, and this is not a movie that feels like a film to play. You know, there's a lot of movement, a lot of close-ups and stuff, and so that was, I think, really gratifying to see. It's like it's a talky movie with a lot on its mind, but it doesn't. It shows you a lot too, and it, it's it's a lot to to look at. Do you think that there's a world in which they could campaign for any of the performances here? Because there's some good ones. I agree. Um, the world I see involves making this into a theatrical hit. And that's what needs to happen. I feel like there's a lot of goodwill for Octavia Spencer. She's a regular. She's a perennial. She gets nominated. So they can go for her. And I think yeah. that they can get there. And the thing is, it is the kind of movie where if you read the synopsis, you're not like, well, that sounds like a great time at the movies this weekend. But the reviews are pretty good. And it's the kind of thing where it's a conversation starter. It it seems like a a kind of a sophisticated, educated audience, um, you know, as this movie gradually kind of finds its way around the country is going to be, you know, turned on by some of the ideas that that it taps into. So that's going to be fascinating to watch as it kind of gradually gets out there. So you went to see Hobbs and Shaw and um, I saw some footage at CinemaCon and it looked like it might have a good juicy role for uh, the crown star Vanessa Kirby. Is she good? Yeah. I mean, she, Vanessa Kirby is, is certainly, you know, feels like she could anchor her own action franchise at this point. I mean, ultimately the movie really does belong to Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham as you might expect. And I will tell you as far as, uh, summer movies go I had a much better time with this spectacle than The Lion King and I'll tell you why because The Lion King is a movie where it's like you you kind of know exactly what you're going to get on a certain level and this one is too and I feel like it's not it's not trying to go beyond that in any particular sort of way it's like I want that banter between these two spies or, or agents or whatever the hell they are in this ludicrous universe who are forced to work together and hurl insults at each other as they go around the world with this ludicrous plot involving a virus they have to stop and Idris Elba is the superhuman bad guy, whatever. Most of it is The Rock and Jason Statham insulting each other. And it's <laughs> great. They're so, I mean, it, honestly, it feels like one of those screwball comedies when they really get into it. And the movie's way too long. There's way too much plotting and stuff. And some of the action doesn't really make sense. But whenever they get down into it, it really does click. And you can tell why they made this movie. Because those two stars are sort of, they speak to different demographics somewhat. But they're both very charismatic and appealing. Audiences want to see that. And it gives you what you want. You know, much more so, I would say, than The Lion King, where you just kind of get what you what you expect to get. So go to this one, not The Lion King. That's basically the gist of what I'm saying here. Even though it is too long, I, I'm kind of getting annoyed that blockbusters, even when, even when they have good stuff in them, they still need to be 135 minutes or something like that. I don't know if there's some mathematical or business argument <laughs> for why they need to run this long, because it feels to me like you should just be in and out 90 minutes and you're good, even if it is expensive and all that kind of stuff. But Hey, if, you know, if people just want to spend more time with The Rock and Jason Statham, I can't blame them for that. So what can I say? Go see that movie. Enjoy the dumb summer movie season while you can, because uh, pretty soon it's about to smarten up in a big way. So uh, you are off uh, next week. So heading, heading back east, heading up to upstate New York, to Maine. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward 
So we'll take a little uh, breather, and then when we get back, we're basically, I mean, we'll be into August, so it's the fall season. Let's be honest. Yeah, starting. It's here. Enjoy your time. Thanks, Eric. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.